0: Welcome to the Thanks Therapy podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hi I'm Hannah Lyden, and I am Dr Emma Lyden, and this is our therapy appreciation
1: podcast Thanks Therapy where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. And we are back for part two of our meaning and purpose
0: double bill where do you find meaning or purpose in your life, why is it important to have it and how can therapy help you get there. Thanks Therapy,
1: Thanks Therapy, you're doing all you do.
0: You should go. You should give it a try. It could be good for you. So, Hannah, before we start, how are you?
1: I just realized I hadn't asked you this in a number of podcast episodes. We did used to do that, and we now we're all business, so it's nice. Let's bring it back. I'm fine. I'm very busy. Mm. You're the queen of busy. Yeah. So. Then whenever I say to you, I'm busy, I feel like you're like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. No. But I know that you're not a compare type of a person, but I am no. busy. You and are busy. I'm super not used busy. to being busy. I've started my, my master's in psychology mm. and that's busy. And also I'm trying to, you know, have a podcast, have a personal life and put my fake tan on. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of things. Um, And I don't know if I've mentioned this, but Mercury is in retrograde. It's been retrograde and it's arse off, hasn't it? I've been feeling it. I don't know if that's, I don't don't think, I don't actually believe that Mercury retrograde is the source of my exhaustion and slight struggling with my personality.
0: I think (laughs) you are busy. I think you're very busy. And that is tiring. It's tiring. And I know it, I feel it, baby. And I wouldn't... You know, I would never do that compare thing we go, huh, you think you're busy. Yeah, I hate no, that. It's really it's annoying. Bullshit. Um, how are you? I'm fine. Um I when I asked you how are you, I realized that there was quite a performative element to it, given that I do see you on an almost daily basis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but but you get my sort of stream of consciousness state of well-being throughout the day via WhatsApp. Yeah, I do. So, but then it's interesting to ask me, like, to -to face-to-face, like, how are you? Yeah. Because I might say something different to the things I've said on WhatsApp.
0: Well, we've had some quite nice times together recently. Yeah. Um, We did something amazing the other night Mm. and went to see Six the Musical at the Opera House. It was so good. It was unbelievable. I had no idea what to expect. I really didn't know anything about it yeah, before it started. Neither. And, I and we didn't realise
1: beforehand that it was like songs. Mm. I mean, I thought like a musical, you think of people being on stage and then suddenly it goes da-da-da-ding and mm-hmm. then somebody starts singing it and it's a bit cringe, yeah. but this wasn't because they came out. It was like a pop concert mm-hmm. extravaganza. And like we were, this is our first, that's my first like experience of like something on a stage since the start of the pandemic, yeah. So I was freaking out, and yep. then at the end, we all the crowd was like freaking out, doing stand ovation, and then they were like, "Do you want another song?" And I sat. We both sat down, and mm-hmm. then everyone else around just st- like stayed standing up, and we were allowed to stay standing up. I didn't know whether didn't we would expect. be allowed. I was like, "Oh my god, can we st- can we stay standing?" We did. Like- we stayed standing with our masks on, and then I was fully dancing like in the aisles, yep. and it was euphoric feeling. It was incredible.
0: I didn't really realise how much I had missed live shows yeah. until I was sitting there feeling the electricity that you can <sighs> only get from that kind of live show.
1: And feeling a bit nervous, like, oh, what if they make mistakes? And then as soon as you see them come out and be so good at their jobs, you're like, mm. this is going to be amazing. Yeah, I actually didn't
0: feel that at all with this um, show I usually do get that, the nerves for the people, because yeah. we've both been on stage before. You you know what that feels like. But um, they were like flawless. Yeah. There was not a single, even a pitchy note the whole time. They really were not? Unbelievable. Yeah. And they were so good. I was so overcome by the whole experience. I loved them all so much that at the end, when we were cheering them off the stage... I was waving in a way as if <laughs> I thought they would be annoyed if I didn't wave, like it would be friends. Rude. I We're was friends. friends with them now. Yep. I had yeah. a relationship with them. I was waving like bye. Oh, I'll see you soon. Oh, like, bye. No, no, I had <laughs> lost my mind by that stage. I was so buzzing, really good. I was absolutely buzzing by the end of it, and I was like telling the the usher on the way out, "That was the best thing I've seen. I can't tell you how amazing it was." <laughs> And then we had to go and drink our feelings. Yep. really. we had to. It go was and really good. Prosecco. I was
1: texting a friend like before we went into the show, and then I was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll text you back later." Sorry, I'm just going into this theater thing, mm-hmm. and didn't and didn't say anything about it, and then came out and was like, "Sorry, I was swept away by the power of musical theater." Anyway, what we were saying <laughs> earlier, and yeah, I forgot how much I love stuff like that. I know, and I cried brilliant. and I cried, I cried, we at the cried the sad and songs, laughed, and I cried at the happy songs because I was like. This so is making beautiful. me so emotional that they're so good at singing and dancing. Mm-hmm. And there's something about people like expressing themselves that fills me with this feeling. I don't know what the word for that feeling is, where you're just like, oh, my God, art and yeah. emotions. Everything's heightened. Yeah, There must be a word we should find out.
0: We yes. should look that up before this I love recording. that thing of words that don't, or, or feelings that don't quite have a word attached to them. Will we get down to business, Hannah? Yes, please. Um, Okay, so last week we introduced existential psychotherapy, which is a relevant therapeutic intervention if one felt lacking in meaning or purpose um, or someone felt that they maybe needed guidance about the direction in their lives. And we talked about the fundamental givens that Irving Yalom felt were necessary to be free from existential anxiety. Basically, the shit you have to have together if you want to be okay. Mm-hmm. And they were freedom and responsibility, death, meaninglessness and isolation.
1: So those are the things that you need to consider as part of life? They're the things that you
0: have to have, um, you have to have come to terms with, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you have a particular conflict or anxiety around death, your own or other people's, um, if you are not processing the meaning or meaninglessness in it, meaninglessness <laughs> of your life um then you don't have those things organized right you don't you don't have those conflicts resolved yes um, and basically existential therapy tries to help people find meaning and purpose in their lives and seeks to end the fear of the unknown That's pretty big It is big quest for sure um, and the therapist actively encourages patients to use their capacity to make choices and to develop their lives as a way to maximise their existence or their reason for being. Mm, nice. So I just wanted to recap on that before we,
1: well, we get, into it. get into
0: it this week.
1: Well, I, yes, that touches on something we didn't really emphasise last week because I was busy banging on about like cars or something, <laughs> car manufacturing. We didn't say last week this discussion, as with any discussion about how any kind of therapy could help you, always comes back to the thing we find ourselves emphasising to those curious or apprehensive about therapy, Mm. which is that no matter what discipline your therapist works within, what their training is, what their methods are, their job is to be alongside you while you answer your own questions. Basically, like you say, use your own capacity to find what lights you up and where you might best focus your efforts to find a greater sense of meaning and well-being in your life. Um, They're not there to like... Say like what you want, you, you're feeling hopeless and you're worried about existential things. Do this. You Read should this do book. this. You can yeah. do this and it's fine. And then because therapy would not exist if mm. that was, was that straightforward. It's about like the therapist there being there to guide the individual, assess their own choices and behaviors, because that can be tricky on your own if you don't have a good grip on things. Mm-hmm. Myself included. Um so yeah, I just I was listening back to last week's episode and I was like, We're making it sound like you just read one Victor Frankl book and then you're sorta. <laughs> That's not the case. <laughs> yeah. No, I liked a lot of things you said there that um you know the therapist
0: is a guide to, to be a lot work alongside you to help you find um answers and meaning and things like that. And to find what lights you up. That's a lovely phrase as well. Um it's funny as you started to talk there. I realised that some of the things that we have said in previous episodes—they're already coming back to haunt me. So I was having a conversation with somebody who was wanting to find a particular type of therapy. So they were they were wanting to tackle a particular problem, mm-hmm. and I said, "Yeah, it's just that." So the person that I had find that was I knew would be absolutely perfect. Um, was quite expensive charged quite a lot of money and I said look you know it's just that I know that they would be really good and uh, you know it's about weighing up whether you want to do that or or, you know we were looking at the different options and they said I know that you said um, you've said that it's important to try and find the right type of therapy. I said yeah you know people can um, end up searching for a long time for the right type of therapist and I'm just trying to shortcut that by by with my knowledge Mm -hmm. and they said but you also said like trying any kind of therapy would be good oh (laughs) and I was like yeah I did say that didn't I yeah you're absolutely right you're right Mm. it's better not to wait it's better to give something a go yeah absolutely you know that that's absolutely an option there's lots of right choices so what we hadn't talked really about in detail was how existential therapy actually worked, how it achieved those
1: goals. Yeah, what I tools, don't really especially know what it is, to be
0: honest. No, and neither did I really before we started this explanation. Exploration. Um, so what tools or techniques it uses to help people overcome the challenges around these fundamental givens. Um, So briefly, firstly, it focuses on the future rather than the past. It agrees that the past is informative, Mm -hmm. but looking at future goals is the focus. Nice. And part of the goal of therapy in general is to help people make choices that are more authentic and help them live a more fulfilled life. And we are categorizing these things specifically as existential, but that isn't necessarily the language that someone would use Generally in therapy, if they had unhappiness in their life situation and they went to any kind of therapy, the purpose of that would be to help p- people uncover the source of the unhappiness and work towards making changes that would allow them to live more happily. Yeah. No matter what type of therapy. That's what we, we agree on this, Hands, don't that we? That is
1: un- undoubted. Yes. Is undoubted a word? It's undoubtedly.
0: Indubitably. Indubitably.
1: <laughs> Yes, that's indubitably true. Um,
0: And also existential therapists urge patients to use creativity, love and other life enhancing experiences Mm -hmm. to help them make decisions and determine their behaviour for the future. Um, And so in this process, the therapist hopes to help their patient learn to think and act without concern for the anxiety or fear of messing up one's life that we talked about. Yeah, that sort of
1: paralysing. Decision thing. So it uses empathy and
0: support to encourage clients to make decisions and use courage to take steps towards relationships and opportunities, which sounds familiar, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of this sounds like what happens in therapy in general. Sure. Um, One of the defining characteristics between existential and traditional psychotherapy, according to Yalom, is that he believed that the source of difficulties were these struggles around the fundamental givens rather than repressed instinctual drives or past traumas, which is what traditional psychotherapy believes is the source of our problems.
1: Yes. I read a thing that was like, he said, one of his sort of famous explanations of his whole um, deal was like, uh, the quest, uh, the client's quest is to do with meaning, rather than, as Freud suggested, to do with um Hidden desires, or mm-hmm. as Adler taught the quest for par, something mm-hmm. like that, yeah, that's misquoted, but that no, was but the basic that's
0: very understandable that's that's really good, um because you know we the the understanding of what where these problems came from has changed over time, mm-hmm. was it innate drives, was it repressed sexual desire, was it misdirected desires mm-hmm. um you know, and the answer is somewhere in there or yet to be discovered but all of those things are useful and interesting to you know think why do we yeah they all inform the process
1: but it's not like every problem you have is because you want to kill your parents or whatever yeah whatever Freud's thing was yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Freud Freud (laughs) (laughs) what was he at Um, Freud um so the another thing about this type of therapy, which we might assume I certainly know that I did, is that it takes time, like weeks or months or maybe even years. My
1: expectation is that most therapy takes time. Yes,
0: you would. However, I came across something um, which is called short term existential behavioral therapy. yes. And I have found a piece of research. Here we go, research time. Which sheds some light on this type of intervention. So this was a piece of research which was a randomised control trial. Have I explained randomised control trials before?
1: Hmm, mm, I don't remember that you have.
0: Okay, well, randomised control trials... are like the gold standard. They're considered the gold standard of experimentation and they must involve a randomization of participants into either a control group or an experimental group. Yeah. Um, or condition and sometimes more than one. So um, the randomization is to reduce bias. And um, so ideally in research, you're trying to control or remove Bias, yeah. as much as you possibly can from the participants, both from the participant and the researcher. So, right, okay. Often you can you're worried about researcher bias in that they will treat people a certain way depending on the condition. Mm-hmm. That so, that if they know they're getting the intervention, they'll treat them in a different way than they would if they were in the control group. Yeah, but also participants behave in a different way depending on what they believe they're receiving; hence, the placebo effect.
1: I also learned in university Uh this week. I'm going to keep mentioning things I learned in university (laughs) because I really love it. um, Is that participants, if they're aware of the research goals, they will behave unconsciously, trying to please the researchers to be like, I think they want to prove that this will happen. I'm going to act like this is happening. And it can massively skew results. It does. I find that fascinating.
0: And that's why we use randomised conditions so that, um, we can try and lessen those effects. Yeah. You can never remove bias or, or you know, these kind of effects completely, but we're trying to lessen them so that we can um, have more of an idea that our research is accurate, essentially. So um, this research study was conducted by Dr. mhm, I think. I know it, him. It might, how you pronounce it. Um, and colleagues at Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich. Yes, yes. And it was with regard to how short-term existential behavioral therapy can help caregivers of cancer patients. So I came across this research study because my current research role is to do with end-of-life care. Mm -hmm. So um, a previous study had looked at existential behavioral therapy for caregivers that took about 22 hours. So that's 22 hours worth of therapy that these caregivers received. Damn, that's that's not long at all, like... It's not long, but let's say it was once a week. It was probably twice a week for these kind of interventions. Yeah. So it's, you know, 11 weeks of therapy. Um, But this study shortened it to two individual one hour sessions. I already know what you're going to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not enough therapy.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is what I think. (laughs)
0: So they carried out a randomized control trial to test the effectiveness of this intervention on the psychological symptoms of these caregivers. Yeah. Um, and existential behavioral therapy is an intervention that focuses on mindfulness practice. She's raising her eyebrows. <laughs> um, strengthening resources, finding meaning, establishing self-care routines and developing personal values. So those, So th- that
1: this therapy aims to deliver those... Uh, f- like focus on those things in 22 hours?
0: And it does in 22 hours and even it aims to touch on those things in two individual one hour sessions. I think what it did was it focused on a couple of things that had show, been shown to be the most efficacious. So mindfulness practice, um, establishing self-care and maybe something else in this very, very brief intervention, right? Yes. Um, now, the only thing is, is that, so this is interesting. This research was interesting for me for a couple of reasons. First, it was an RCT of um, a, a therapeutic intervention. So that's always interesting to see because we don't do, we don't do that many randomized control trials of therapeutic interventions. Um, and the second thing was that the outcome, there weren't terribly dramatic results, so the control condition was standard counselling. So caregivers essentially either got two hours of short term existential behavioural therapy mm-hmm. or two hours of standard counselling. Okay. And then they measured their different outcome measures. So they measured their level of depression, their level of anxiety, their level of well-being um, at several time points. And what they found was there was no difference between those two conditions. Oh. So there was no real difference between if you received the existential behavioral therapy or if you received the counseling, you did as well or as badly in both conditions. The factor that seemed to make the difference for people was time. Right. Time passing was the thing that reduced their depressive symptoms, reduced their anxiety, improved their
1: well-being. It was just the passage of time. Interesting.
0: I did think it was interesting.
1: Describe yeah. my face when you were talking about the uh, <laughs> short term <laughs> delivery of that particular message. She was method. not
0: impressed. She
1: looked very unimpressed. I was doing eyebrows. I was doing <laughs> side eye on both sides. My <laughs> eyes were oscillating wildly to convey suspicion, disapproval. Yeah. Um. But then again, you know, I've been going for therapy for like four years. So somebody might side eye that length of time in one program of therapy. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is that what
0: they're hoping to do with that is relieve the symptoms of somebody who's in a a very stressful life situation. Yeah. Which is
1: transitory, really. Yeah, that's a very different setting. Yeah. Than just being a bit mental. On the, on the low for a long term which is <laughs> <Just> my <laughs> and am I being a diner this episode no not at all you shouldn't ask how are you at the start of the episode because then I'm like mm, like I don't know if I'm okay and okay, then I depressing well, things what right? I'll d-
0: instead of saying how are you I'll be like what
1: fun things did we do this <laughs> week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hannah I took you to a musical are you fine
0: <laughs> you're fine I bought you cocktails was <laughs> <Yeah>. it good <laughs> it was very good um we are actually recording in my back living room of my house tonight instead of the studio. And that's because the studio is being used by a band. But unfortunately, that means that we are recording amongst the many noises that my
1: house has to offer. The hustle and bustle of life. The, the There's a dog
0: playing the game. The dog is being quite sleepy at the minute, but he was he was making noises with his little paws. He's a doing
1: clip clop around the place, and then there's a there's a DIY project happening next door. Yeah, they're drilling, which Co- they do. Feels on the like rig. it's quite near us, mm. in wherever they're doing it in their house. So
0: sorry about the drilling noise, guys, which we will probably have struggled to cut out all the
1: time. It's just a bit of color.
0: Yeah, but anyway. So this is a totally new thing, really, this existential behavioural therapy that I'm introducing now. It feels like I might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because while Irving Yalom really probably established existential psychotherapy and gave us those four fundamental givens and such, like um, he was... Uh, our friend Viktor Frankl was way ahead of the game.
1: Big Vic. Yeah, I mean... I don't think we would have had a Yellum if there were not the Frankel beforehand. Yes, um, Victor, I'm going to tell you about him. Oh, great. I did not know much about this before I was doing my research for this week because, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, I still have not finished reading... Man search for meaning. Sorry. You have a lot of reading to do now. I have a lot of reading to do, yeah. I've also recently started, um, well, I didn't start it, but I've become part of a sapphic book club. So I have very specific reading to do for that. (laughs) And then my research for this podcast, very busy. Um, But I have got far enough to get to the part which is relevant to this episode, which is where Frankel explains his own concept of logotherapy. Yes, logotherapy, right. Logotherapy? Oh no, I'm just repeating it to be oh, sure. Oh, because that... I was about to ask you, would you say logotherapy or something? Oh, no. Like, do you know, it's one of those words where I'm like, am I just saying it basic logotherapy?
0: Oh, God, I could <laughs> totally be saying it wrong. Actually, now that I think about it, but logically it seems like logotherapy.
1: What if it's logotherapy, <laughs>
0: like logical? <laughs> what what if
1: it's log logotherapy. <laughs> we'll just say logotherapy for just to be straightforward. Yeah. And then if you happen to know, if you're listening to this and you happen to know that we're pronouncing stuff wrong, just tell us. Or don't. Or don't. But just put it in like a passive aggressive tweet (laughs) because there's not a lot of drama. This podcast hasn't generated drama. Everyone's been really nice. So if you could like, you know, be like, excuse me, it's logorothopy. That would be really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so he developed this concept of logotherapy, which... um, So after he was freed from Auschwitz and survived that whole harrowing experience, he just resumed his previous occupation, which was working as a neurologist and psychotherapist. Mm. And he sort of writes about in that book, Man's Search for Meaning, he writes about the fact that he had this sort of newfound appreciation for man's will to meaning. Mm. um, And that informed the rest of his work and his life, really. Um, So he he tells this story of an American doctor who visited him in his office in Vienna, um, once he would kind of resumed his career and things were getting back to normal um, to find it. So this doctor was like, tell me more about this logotherapy thing. And he said, tell me what it is, or at least tell me what the difference is between analysis and your logotherapy. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the crack? It doesn't sound any different to me. And Frankl says, well, first tell me, what do you think psychoanalysis is? Mm-hmm. And the American says something like during analysis. The patient must come in and lie down on the couch and tell you things which are sometimes very disagreeable to tell. Mm. And Frankel replies, well, in logotherapy, the patient may remain sitting upright, but he must hear things which sometimes are very disagreeable to hear. Oh, So he's, he's being all cheeky and funny and in, in his retort. That's brilliant, though. But I was just going to read you an entire page from his book now. OK, cool. instead of me trying to explain it badly that he's right. written it so beautifully. So he writes. Of course, this was meant facetiously and not as a capsule version of logotherapy. However, there is something in it. inasmuch as much as logotherapy, in comparison with psychoanalysis, is a method less retrospective and less introspective, logotherapy focuses rather on the future, that is to say, on the meanings to be fulfilled by the patient in his future. At the same time, logotherapy defocuses all the vicious cycle formations and feedback mechanisms which play such a great role in the development of neuroses. Thus, the typical self-centeredness of the neurotic is broken up instead of being continually fostered and reinforced. The patient in logotherapy is actually confronted with and reoriented towards the meaning of his life. And to make him aware of this meaning can contribute much to his ability to overcome his neurosis. Isn't that fascinating?
0: That is fantastic. He's made it sound very
1: straightforward and like no bullshit, which is a beautiful... Um, sort of breakdown of what he's trying to do because he's comparing it, not to say anything wrong, there's anything wrong with psychoanalysis, but it does, uh, the picture we have of that culturally is very much like you lie down, Mm -hmm. you regress, you go in to dive into your past and find all the things that have caused your problems. Yeah. And he's kind of saying, we're not going to do that. We're going to think about how you can break that pattern or if you're stuck in a kind of depression you can uh I guess that's the whole
0: it's the focusing on the future rather than the dwelling in the past isn't it it's the kind of focusing on how can we um use what we know what we discover about ourselves to work towards a better future yeah 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 that's really interesting but he makes it sound
1: so whatever the opposite of trite is, because I always find it trite when people are like, I don't like to think about the past. I just like to, I'm a sunny person who looks in the future. I'm always like,
0: I yeah, whatever. That seems
1: suspicious to me. No, I mean, that's kind of
0: like reductionist and facile, isn't it really? Like, yeah, just
1: um,
0: (laughs) people who say like no regrets and stuff like that. Well, I mean, if you don't have regrets, you don't learn from your mistakes. Yeah, I've got
1: many regrets.
0: You have to have a balance of you know, everything really. Something (laughs) I wanted to talk about is that we have approached this from quite an intellectual point of view Um, and, you know, we were doing a two-part thing about meaning and purpose and using the word existential like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like saying that a lot. Mm -hmm. And we forget, you know, we just like, well, it's called existential psychotherapy, so we're going to say that a lot. It's sort of the word has lost all meaning to us now. But actually, um, my sister recently was kind of like, ooh, existential. Your
1: sister, my mother.
0: Yeah. Um, and then I was like a bit embarrassed, like, well, we're not trying to be, you know. Did she do that? Was yeah, I she there? Was like,
1: she said, ooh, existential,
0: ooh, phenomenological. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I was there, but it didn't really make any impact on me because she she should be used to that sort of thing, having raised me. Yeah. And since I was about 15, I've been like, I mean, mom, I'm thinking existentially about this decision that we're going to far side, blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah, well, she can still make fun of me. That's what big sisters are for, you see. So <laughs> then I was kind of a bit like, oh, is this, you know, I don't want people to think that we're trying to be super intellectual. We're not, we're literally just explaining the things that we are coming across and they happen to have these names and we're trying to do it in, an, in as a, Accessible way as possible. Yeah, say that three times fast.
1: I I don't think anyone's gonna have an issue with us being. Well, you know, I like to apologise in advance for stuff. Well, now, I so. like to counter that by being like, if you don't like the intellectual level that we're operating at, then. No, I'm sorry as well. Yeah, okay. I just love being pretentious as well as the other thing. It's fun. It it's fun, fun to sure. look up things that you don't know about and find out about them and then badly explain them to an audience. That's I know the whole point of this,
0: but I think it's because when we're researching for the podcast, we're looking for really good, interesting information about amazing therapists and types of therapy, and they were all super smart, smart people. Who, they are super smart. You know. Yeah. However, beyond this podcast, I am a person who has been known to share my thoughts. On how we find our way through life with younger persons, persons in general and clients on occasion. Yeah. And they're often much less lofty. So, yes. Firstly, my first bit of advice that I would give to young people who are often struggling with what, where should I, you know, what way should I make my way through life or, you know, big questions and things like that is I would say, give yourself time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Because our society is set up so we think we have to know what we want to be when we're teenagers so that we choose the right subjects to study. Um, But so few of us really do know at that stage.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know I didn't. Some people do, but like, I don't think that it's an expected thing that you have to. No. Don't feel weird if you don't.
0: No, don't. Just give yourself time. I thought
1: I did and I was really wrong. (laughs)
0: So I definitely thought I did. I wanted to be an actress and there was no point in me going to careers class because they didn't have the little card in the box that said actress. So I was uninterested in the whole thing.
1: I wanted to be just artist. Mm. No further details.
0: (laughs) Just artist. (laughs) There you go. So um, and then secondly, I would say that, you know, searching for a meaning or a purpose in one's life doesn't have to be lofty so it doesn't always have to be helping people you know it sometimes your purpose can be just to live well yourself to enjoy your own life yep to have more dogs and i think even in our secular society often we think that we have to be doing highly contributory acts mm-hmm. in order to be living with meaning and purpose but we can't all be doing that yeah. you know at, at all times um I used to get it when people asked me what I was doing my PhD in, and I think they expected me to say something, you know, really intellectual, but not super applicable. Like, I don't know, Egyptian uh, papyrus creation (laughs) or something, you know. Um, And whenever I said parental mental health, they always said, oh, that's really important. And while my ego was definitely pleased about that, I did also actually think, well, you know, I believe that 18th century French romantic literature is important, you know. Yeah, I believe yeah. knowledge and study and investigation is important, even if it doesn't directly benefit people in the way most people think it should, you know. Mm-hmm. So don't feel intimidated or the need to find a purpose that hugely benefits society because that can be really blocking, I think.
1: Well, what uh, a Jungian would say is mm-hmm. if that you are finding your own Um, you're delving into your own purpose. Mm -hmm. You are uh, inherently contributing to the collective unconscious. Yes. And therefore contributing to the world's purpose.
0: So... I do also think you are contributing to society if you like if you're an expert in romantic French literature or some like obscure
1: thing. Or oh, big in- time. There's someone out there who will be fucking buzzed to learn that you, that's what you're studying, even if it's so obscure. Absolutely. I was watching, I quite like to watch University Challenge. Um, and mm. I was watching it recently and my, uh, what do you call it when you went to uni that you're an alumni of? Your alma mater? Alma mater? Is that? Is that only in America?
0: I think so, but I've never used that phrase, so I don't Me really know. Me neither. This is the
1: first time I've said those words out loud, which okay. is why I was hesitant. Sure. But anyway, I went to Queen Mary in London and the Queen Mary was on uh. and they had the weirdest participants. Mm-hmm. Like, So the, the panel from Queen Mary was like people doing really obscure stuff and mm-hmm. someone was doing a PhD and they don't usually say the full title of their PhD, but this person was doing something like... Hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm studying at Queen Mary. I'm doing a PhD in sphincter analysis. <laughs> it was literally something like that. It, they used the word sphincter. Yeah. And I was like,
0: why? Sphincters are so important, though.
1: Apparently so. This yeah. person definitely thinks, well, we're going to find out when that person publishes, publishes their research. Yeah. I'll be waiting
0: with bated breath. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I
1: don't know what the point of me saying that was, but... Uh,
0: no, but I mean, and even like, not just educationally, but like, you know, people who um are, you know, doing engineering things, people who are make blankets, people who walk dogs, people who, you know, literally everything, all of it is contributing. Pancakes? In, pancakes, yeah. Pancakes Factories, might be the solution to everything. Cleaning? Yeah, Amazon delivery drivers, cleaners. The lunch ladies at the school.
1: Everybody's for them. Everybody's got their part,
0: and they're contributing not only to society but to you know their own meaning and purpose. And that's why I just wanted to say, like we sometimes get. It's like that episode about Everest where I kept saying, you know, you could
1: climb Everest, or (laughs) you know, if you really want to climb Everest, I couldn't think of (laughs) anything else. Calm down, we're not doing that. Yeah. Um. The point is, basically, you don't have to have a big pretentious podcast. No, you it's do burn on us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we know we're idiots. We're just having a great time. But um, the other thing I would say is if you're searching for your meaning and purpose, if you know, if somebody came to me for advice or it was a client or whatever, is surround yourself with positive, encouraging people. Um, that is the. That's the soil that you want to be in. That's the environment that will create you finding meaning and purpose. Um, People who allow you to be the best version of yourself, who allow you to be free to be yourself, who build you up. And if you have people like that around you, then you will find out how you want to live your life. You will naturally, that's the environment within which that will happen.
1: Don't be a fake bitch and you can party with us. essentially the meaning of
0: that. Too long, didn't read. Hannah's... (laughs) Sorted it there for us. (laughs) Oh, so then the, the last thing I did, and I do this regularly, I conducted some very small scale research into this topic. Yes. This is something I do regularly when I'm looking for inspiration, creative, intellectual, or just an idea that's out of the box. I ask a child.
1: Yay. So I
0: had two handy and I asked Charlie, how do you think you find meaning and purpose in life? Right. So first of all, he did not. He went, what? (laughs) Like, what are you asking me, mom? And I said, how do you live a meaningful life? How do you find purpose in your life? And he said, play, love and be happy. Oh, which honestly, like out of the mouths of babes, like the wisdom of children, honestly, I do find that they cut through the bullshit really often and just tell, tell it like it is. And so then I asked my lovely Sam, who's thirteen, and he said, "To find your true purpose is to do something you enjoy, and it doesn't feel like a hobby or a chore. Nice, isn't that great?
1: Yeah, very straightforward.
0: So I think probably we could just if we cut out the rest of the episode and just put that just put, bit, that. Just put the kids' advice in, I think that people will do all right with that.
1: Well, I totally copied your idea, uh-huh, and I surveyed a selection of my friends oh, just exciting. today. And um, their answers were all great and very lovely. And I'm probably biased, but I have lovely, clever friends. So here's some answers that I got. This is the first one's quite long. When people ask, what do you think is the meaning of life? I usually just say, whatever cheers you up. For me personally, I think a lot of it comes down to ongoing development. I need to always have a next thing to work towards. And the more I learn or the more skills I gather, I feel like I am extending myself as a human being, i.e. growing through education. And I suppose I try to be proactive about nurturing my interests and striving to always know more about things. Mm. That person is fucking the most intelligent person I've probably ever met or ever will meet. Mm. So that is reflected in their answer. Um, yeah, that's that's an like a answer. goal-driven answer. It's
0: a it's very, very active answer, isn't it? When you yeah. look at the words being used, there's a lot of striving, and growing, and Nurturing. And nurturing. Yeah, development. in a healthy
1: way. that's brilliant. It will not surprise you to learn that that person is extremely successful at the age of not even 30. So. Brilliant. Bitch. That's great. Um, then this is a lovely one. I think probably mostly friends and family. And team sports are good because you're part of this collective working towards a shared goal. Obviously, obviously, team sport isn't like the meaning of life, but it does help a lot with my mental health. But yeah, probably just good mates and all. Aww, That's yeah, so nice. Absolutely.
0: Good mates, relationships, love. That's what I said last episode. Very nice. It all
1: comes down to love, baby. Um. Then the last one is just very straight to the point. Respecting all types of food, where it comes from, respecting the earth. Oh, Very okay. naturalistic kind of. Yeah, that's looking at the bigger picture as well. Very much Love so. That. So that is just a small selection of my lovely friends and what they like.
0: Yeah, what they I find think, meaning in. You know, we have talked about this as if people are out there going, "Oh, what is meaning and purpose, <laughs> and how do we find it?" We know that you know, we know that everybody's out there on their own journey and that they have their own opinions about this. We wanted to talk about it and approach it from the point of view of. What does therapeutic theory have to say about this? How does therapeutic theory approach the search for meaning and purpose, both from the point of view of what if you're feeling lacking in? Mm -hmm. What if you're having a crisis around? Yes. And just having a look at some of the techniques that, you know, were available to one if one was having such a crisis. But it all comes back down to what is, is makes sense to, to us, you mm-hmm. know, where we find our meaning and purpose. And, you know, often I find it in asking the kids, and often you find it in asking your friends. And I'm sure our listeners are out there, you know, finding it in their own ways as well.
1: Yes, very much. And finding so.
0: their own answers. I know they are because they seem to be an absolutely brilliant bunch of people, our listeners. Oh. I'm delighted with them all.
1: Thank you, everyone. Yeah, for thank being so you so nice. for listening.
0: I meant to say that at the start because you see, if you say at the end of an episode, you know, thank you for listening, or will you rate, subscribe, (laughs) and do the stars? Sometimes people have stopped listening by this stage, but don't stop listening. I have a problem to share with you all. Oh, yeah.
1: The problem. I'm just
0: looking it up here one second. Okay. Dear Thanks Therapy, I have an existential problem that I have wrestled with for my whole life. I think Disney has a lot to answer for with this, but where are we with our destinies? Should I be trying to follow one, or should we be moving through life and making the best of it? Um, I think there is something to be said for the searching to keep us moving and looking, but is that not at odds with trying to be mindful and satisfied? Many mm. thanks, A, listener.
1: Whoa. Asking oh the big questions. That is just an
0: amazing question. Um, wow. I think we might be ill-equipped to answer this
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm coming up empty. I don't have anything... <laughs> So, I mean, I think destiny, well, I guess that comes down a lot to like personal beliefs mm-hmm. and like your own understanding of things like free will. Are things fated or not fated? Are things just occurring at random? Are we all just little insignificant specks? Mm. Do you take comfort in that or do you find it frightening? Mm. I don't really know the answer to any of those questions for myself even. I don't think, no, I don't think we'll really come close to an answer but I do think
0: it is interesting that people might have internalised this idea that we each have a destiny like a Mm -hmm. true destiny that is out there for us and we just have to find it I think that that can make that can lead to a dissatisfaction.
1: Yeah or it could be limiting.
0: It could be quite limiting. What I think is quite interesting about this question is that you know, does the destiny keep you driving? Keep you striving? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, I'm going to try and find my destiny. Yeah, does gonna, it act as a goal? Does it act as a goal, or is it at odds with trying to be mindful and satisfied
1: and open to the endless possibilities of the mm-hmm. world?
0: It's this is not something that I struggle with myself because I don't I don't really think I've ever felt that that sense of that I have some sort of destiny that's out there waiting for me.
1: No. Um, Me neither, really. So
0: I haven't been so... That myth hasn't, you know...
1: Although, I recently had a brief, intense romance, and this person told me that had I been alive in, like, you know, the early centuries, I would have been, like, a healer. Mm. This was said to me, and I was like, oh, thanks, um. So that's interesting. It is interesting,
0: and I think that um, there are some people who can see what's going on with you, isn't there? Like, there was one person I had a conversation with once, and they said to me, "Um, oh, I get you. No, no, I get you. It, you're you're all about compassion." Oh. And I was like, I? I, I had that <laughs> feeling, like, oh, like I'd been really seen. Whoa. And then I, because, you know, obviously like being a counsellor and a psychologist and stuff, I thought oh, I need to reciprocate with some insight here. And I really fell short. I was like, yeah, and it's you, you're kind. You're all about kindness, <laughs> it wasn't true? Actually, in hindsight, <laughs> didn't I realized need anything that, back. that they were all about loyalty, but I just didn't have it in the moment. you
1: know yeah. where I had it in the moment? Um, well, that's quite disarming if someone just like looks at you and is like, oh, I see your deal. And if yeah. they're right, you're like, oh, shit, am I, I just walking around with a big sign on my head?
0: Well, we are to a certain extent. I just think yeah. some, only some people can read the sign is the thing. And um, I just wonder, is that partly if you can, you know, last week we talked about if you can align your values with your goals, mm-hmm. then... Maybe that leads to more fulfillment and maybe that's really what destiny is. That if you're doing something that you're really meant to be doing, I just think that it's, again, it's quite an intimidating thing to have this yeah. idea of destiny when most people are like working in a call center and just, you know, so that they can enjoy their lives the rest of the time.
1: And a lot of the time, I think, our the way we talk about it in our sort of current culture is that destiny means like a vocation or yeah. a, an occupational thing like a calling, but it might not be that. It might be that you're um, an excellent friend or you mm. play some sport really well or you make the best um, milkshakes or something, yeah. like something um, seemingly sort of banal but that could impart great Meaning onto someone else. I don't really yeah. know what I mean.
0: Well, I mean, so in Disney you've got like um a magical ice princess, so her destiny is to be Elsa the Queen and magic with ice, mm-hmm. right? You've got Moana, so her destiny is to travel and bring her people back the heart of
1: The Heart of the Ocean. The
0: heart of Tafiki. Oh. You know, I the haven't seen stone. the Moana oh, one. Me and Charlie watch it.
1: Is it really it's, good? It's really
0: good. Um, her, She has to find her strength as a leader to lead her people through the seas and things like that. So mm. these destinies are quite intense.
1: Yeah. They're always about like saving their, their civilization people? or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if you could take that kind of allegorically.
0: I think that some people in our society, and I am very, very grateful for them, are really really trying to help our like our greater problems that we're having in society and the environment mm-hmm. and they are are driven to that destiny and thank goodness for them thank goodness that there's people driven in that way and equally I think being mindful and satisfied because it's not possible to be a nice queen magical person do you know what I mean
1: yeah not for everyone
0: it's definitely not for everyone
1: have you heard of acorn theory no so my therapist mentioned this to me and explained it like a a long time ago and I have thought about it on and off since then Mm -hmm. because I think we were in a period where I was discussing like what am I here for like why was I born those kinds of chill questions okay and she brought up like well have you heard of this theory and have you read this person and give me as usual lots of really good resources but something that sort of stuck with me is this man James Hillman mm-hmm. I don't know I don't really know anything about him but he uh, created this theory called acorn theory which is the idea that our lives are formed by like one particular image that that drives us consciously right. or otherwise just as the oak's destiny is contained in the tiny acorn Okay. Um, I'll read you this because it'll explain it better than I could. Okay. The central theme behind Hillman's acorn theory is that some remarkable ple- people, including renowned artists and world leaders, as well as even some serial killers, are born, not made. This, of course, flies in the face of what we call conventional psychology, which believes that the early childhood conditioning or socialization socialization is the greatest determinant of what a person will make of themselves later in life. And his quote was neither nature nor nurture. Whoa. So he's just been like, Forget all that. Every person is born with like a master code that that like basically this sort of we'll call it destiny or master code will out throughout the course of their life, mm. no matter what choices they take. Mm. Which is interesting. I don't really know No, I don't how know it would either. work. I but, don't know that he
0: has any evidence for this, but it is super no, I think interesting he to think about. He does, doesn't
1: have any evidence as far as I can tell from what I've like vaguely Googled about him. Mm. Um, but I think he was also um, maybe a student of Jung as well. Mm. So he was dealing in the, the more esoteric.
0: Yeah. I think what's interesting about that though is that um, you don't really have to worry about it then. You know, if yeah. you have this master code that will out... <laughs> anyway, then whether you have it or not, or whether your destiny is definitely going to play out or not, it's sort of out of your hands and you don't really have to worry about it. I guess
1: it's whatever, like your choices then form what, how it manifests. Mm. Like if you say, if your master code was dictating that you would be like um, a great leader, but you didn't, you weren't born into a family that had money and you couldn't get an education mm. and therefore you couldn't get into politics to become that kind of leader, yeah. maybe you might become like a sort of outcast cult leader mm. yeah. and lead like a gang of outlaws in the woods or something. Mm. So those two things are very different.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um Just as you were thinking about that, I was thinking about the the other side of that, the kind of satisfaction with not being the... Um, Outlaw cult leader (laughs) leading, (laughs) Uh, starting a massive community in the woods or whatever. Um, Just just because the end of that question is talking about being mindful and satisfied. And I feel like as I've got older, I've become more satisfied with much, much smaller things. So when I was a teenager and I was thinking what I wanted to be, I essentially wanted to be a a Hollywood actress Mm -hmm. or a rock star. Yeah. And those were the only two things that would satisfy me. Mm-hmm. And I was felt um, that anything less, I would be unhappy.
1: Right, right. And so
0: then you go through a period of time where you basically have to wrestle with the fact that you're not going to be a Hollywood actress or you're not going to be um, a rock star. And partly that's because of choices that you make that are based in reality. Like I can't go to Hollywood right now or I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't go to drama school. Mm-hmm. So because I couldn't go to drama school meant that. Um, I wasn't going to be a professional actress. So I had to just, you know, shelve that one. And think, mm-hmm. OK, well, I'll be a singer then. Um, and then I had to get a job and I had to do other things. And there wasn't really a music scene in Belfast when I did that. So there was reality, you know, set in. Yeah. Um. Now, as life has gone on, really what, like, my main ambitions are, like, I would really like an open fire.
1: Yeah, that's um, more achievable. <laughs> I
0: would like an open fire and another dog. Yeah. And... I just want to have like cozy days in front of the fire, walk the dog, come home, get warmed up, have a nice, get better at gardening. That's my kind of, you know, that's my kind of of destiny is just
1: more realistic goal setting. And some of it is just being nearly 40. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) But it, and it is, and that's, that's part of it is that, you know, we feel like we have to reach for the stars and that poster that says, reach for the stars. You know, I don't know if that was the best advice necessarily. It's good. It's nice and encouraging.
1: Yeah. But. Well, maybe you just got to reframe where the stars are. Yeah. Like maybe they're closer than you think. Absolutely. Is that so cheesy what I said? I didn't mean to make it sound so cheesy. No, I love it. This might be the first question to which our answer has not been, you just need to go to therapy.
0: You know, I think in this case, that's that's not the answer. You know,
1: whoa, it happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ten episodes. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't think that actually you you have to um, accept your fate or strive for your destiny. I don't think that either of those things is the answer to that question. I think that it's just more complicated than that. And Mm -hmm. that you have to trust yourself to find your way. You'll find out what makes you happy. And one day you'll realize that. An open fire and dogs are what you're really striving for in your life rather than any loftier goal than
1: that. That sounds very beautiful.
0: Well, that's probably a good place to end, Hanzo. What do
1: you think? Yep. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Thanks, thanks Therapy. therapy. I have a, I want to, can you Photoshop my voice into something I said? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Can you do voice Photoshop? Is that loud nose whistling time? There's no whistling, just snuffish, snuffish breathing. What's that? Rice? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was rice.
0: No, it's insulation for some reason.
1: What? I can't remember what it's called. Okay,
0: well, we're going to cut some of that out Cut all that shit out that I was talking about because it was shit. Cough
1: time. It's a... Cough
0: time on the show. Do do, do 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 a surprise for you today because you <laughs> did all those surprises last week. I really
1: I I really like did all that stuff last week and I've got no surprises this week. That's okay. You don't always have to
0: have the surprises. I know, but There's I have two to of be us
1: in this team, baby. Excellent every time.
0: You are excellent consistently. Thank you. It's very nice.